Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, verse, uh, beginning with about verse 21. Uh, we have an, an interesting uh, section of Scripture here. As we've been talking about just the different conversations that, that Jesus has been having. And, and I want our lesson to be fairly simple this evening. But I thought about this text, which is a fairly simple text. But I thought about this text in relationship to, to Father's Day. Because really, we, we, have, we have a father who's coming to Jesus on behalf of his child. Let's just pick up in about verse 21. And you can, you can if you have your Bibles open, then, then you'll have our text for this evening. Matthew, or Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. You can imagine that there were unbelievable numbers of people who wanted to see Jesus. We have accounts of uh, you know, thousands of people who were following him around. And we can understand that, can't we? I mean, if there was someone who was making lame people walk, if there was someone who was making blind people see, uh, if there was someone who was, who was mystifying the, the, the most wise and the most intelligent, I mean, people were following him around. What is he going to say? What is he going to do? What, what is going to happen? I, I don't want to be one that, that misses what's, what's going on. And you can imagine the, the number of requests that, that, that he must have had. Um, I find it interesting in our, in our culture today that there, there are people that we talk about as uh, philanthropists, right? And we, generally, when we talk about that, we talk about someone with, with an incredible amount of resources. We call that money. And, and one of the interesting things is how, is how people are constantly just trying to get an audience with these folks, right? I mean, they, I mean if, if somebody's giving out money, most of us would line up, <laughs> right? But, but all of these good things that, that, that people want want support for. Well, Jesus in many ways is an incredible philanthropist. He has an incredible resource that goes far beyond money. And so all of these people are coming trying to get help. But to understand of all of the people that were coming, that large group, even of thousands of people at times, is made up of individuals. There are thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people who pray to our God every day. But my prayer is as an individual. I can tell you that's what's on my mind. I have my concerns. I have the things that are affecting my life and my world. And you may or may not even be aware of those things. So as the crowds are pressing there, there as one person amongst the crowds, and the text will actually demonstrate that a little bit further as we go, there is this one man by the name of Jairus, and he's come there for a reason. He hasn't just come to see the show. He's come in many ways out of desperation. When he came, when he came and he saw him, the Bible says in verse 22, he fell at his feet. Jairus just collapsed in front of him because out of desperation, he's finally come to, to get an audience with the one who can actually do something about his problem. And he begged him earnestly saying, my little daughter, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed. And she will live. 
some of you know what it feels like to have a sick child. My children have never had too bad of issues in their life, but, but they, they both have spent a little bit of time in, in, in hospitals. And can I tell you, that was some of the, the most difficult days I've ever experienced in my life. Just a feeling of helplessness. I mean, you get a feeling of helplessness when they, when they get strep throat, but, but this idea that they're going in the hospital and they're putting IVs in them. And, and what if the doctor said, but there's nothing we can really do? I mean, about your child. I was, I was talking um, last night over text with um, Blake uh, Dykes and their little daughter, Annabelle, who's been in and out of the hospital and, and so many things that are conflicting and so many things that would appear to be life-threatening to that little girl's life. And, and I, I was just telling him, you know, I just wanted you to know that our family has prayed for you tonight and we'll continue to pray for you. And, and his response was, just thank you. We need every single prayer that we can get. I mean, it was this father who's realizing, I don't really know if my child is going to live or die. And, and some of the reports were, were positive that he was getting. But I'm going to tell you, in that moment, even when you're getting positive results, you're still there in the midst of an incredible crisis. So we have this very real father who is very, really, really desperate. No one can help my child. But I heard of a man, a man by the name of Jesus, that's healing people. Maybe that's the answer. I, I, I will see people that will, that will go to extra, incredible lengths to go to, to special hospitals. And people talk about going to different parts of the country and halfway around the world. Why? Because maybe those people can help me. Maybe those people can save my husband. Maybe that person can save my wife. Maybe that person can save my parent. Maybe that person can save my child. And what would you not give to save your child's life? So, so much like the people who, who the, 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 the friends who, who lowered their friend down through the roof of the house, and we'll eventually get there in this series of lessons, they, they said, I, I've got to get to Jesus. And he falls on his feet and he just begs. He begs him sincerely. My daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed. We have an admonition to take our cares and concerns to the Lord. We spoke this morning a little bit about the difficulty of being a parent. I don't know. It changes, but I don't know that it's gotten any easier. I don't have to worry about, you know, sticking a fork in an electric outlet. I don't think, Deacon, but anymore, but he didn't even hear what I said. But, but, the, but this idea of even once they're grown, do, do you still have concerns about your children? Don, do you, do you worry about your kids? Nancy, do you, do, you, do you think about your sons and your grandchildren? And I mean, all of these concerns that are so much upon us, and it doesn't have to be to the point of death. I mean, obviously, we're dealing with an extreme case here, but, but here's an individual who's doing the right thing. I always think about what, what Paul says there in Philippians chapter 4, when he's talking about our, our burdens, about our cares, about our anxieties. Listen, if there's something that keeps people up at night, well, I know that many of you have spent many a sleepless night thinking about your children. 
What are they going to be? How are they going to handle this? What, Lord, help them through this. Help them, help them even come, come back to the Lord. Paul says in Philippians 4, Be anxious for nothing, but by everything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Do we take the time to pray? Just to take our burdens and our cares and the things that are on our heart. In this case, it was a man's daughter. And he said, Lord, I can't do anything about this. I can't change the situation. But I know that you can. And so I'm asking you to come and to deliver my child. And so Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. I mean, this is it, right? I mean, I've been waiting to have an audience with the one who could do something about it. And now finally, he's actually coming. Like something's actually going to happen. We've been waiting on this doctor who can help our child for so long. And he's actually going to come and see us. We actually have an appointment and and everyone says that he can actually heal our child. We we, we understand that that feeling, right? Now, the, the, the great physician is coming with me to my house and he's going to heal my daughter. I mean, just the, the amazement that is there. And so they set off on a path to his house. But, but, but as, as they're going off to, to her house, something else happens. You, you know, don't you wish that you could, you could limit the emergencies in life to one at a time? Right? Like, I'm, I'm trying to deal with this thing over here. So if, every, if everything else could just wait until I get this, this problem solved, then I'll get to these problems over here. Does life ever work that way? Almost never does it work that way, even though we keep expecting it to. And so, and so what, what's, what's happening here is they're on their way to this man's house to heal, to heal this man's daughter, and there was a certain woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years. You see, Jairus had a problem that his daughter was dying, but this woman didn't know anything about Jairus, didn't know anything about his daughter. She had her own problem. you got your own problems tonight, don't you? I mean, everybody here has got, you got your own problems, you got your own burdens, you got your own things that, 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 are, that, are, that you're struggling in your life. Well, this woman had her own problems, and she too had come amongst the masses to, to see Jesus. She'd been struggling with this for 12 years. She had suffered many things from many physicians. Oh, she'd gone to the doctors, and they'd made it worse. They just brought problem after problem. When you read about ancient medicine and things that doctors used to do, listen, I mean, many times the, the, the cure was the thing that killed people, right? She suffered at their hands. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather she grew worse. Well, when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. She said, if only, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? It's almost a foolish statement, right? His disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? Does that make any sense? Have you you ever been in 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 a crowded place? You ever been where, where there were hundreds or thousands of people? I mean, you're shoulder to shoulder, and, and you're touching every which way but loose, and all, all of these things, and you say, well, well, wait a minute, who touched me? 
And they say, well, what are you talking about? Everybody's, every, there, there's so many people here. How could you even know? He said, no, no, I know. I know. He looked, he looked around to see her who had done this thing. And the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your afflictions. It's a great story, right? It's a great example of someone else that's being healed by Jesus. And, and, and this time that he takes, the, he takes the time to actually notice her and, 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 to, be, and to be aware of those things. But, but to understand that this takes place within the whole context of this man's dying daughter. They're on their way to his house. Wait a minute, I have to stop. You ever been in a hurry? You ever been in a hurry and, and, and fellas, and your wife says, well, I just want to make one stop. No, I don't want to make a stop. I'm trying to get there. In this emergency situation, I, I don't have time to go by the store. I don't have time to see this person. I've got somewhere I've got to be. But Jesus takes time. He takes time for you, and he takes time for me, and he takes time for this woman. All going. I mean, we're, we're gonna, we'll get there eventually. Everything will be fine. But while he was still speaking, some men came from the ruler of the synagogue's home who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? You see, sometimes, sometimes we have to understand that when God works, he doesn't always work on our timetable. The truth is, God almost never works on our timetable. Typically, we pray to God and we, we want Him to do what we want Him to do, when we want Him to do it, the way we want Him to do it. Don't we? We often have requests for, for benevolent help at, at, at the church building. and Typically, when people are making requests, do, do you know when they're asking for help? They'd like to have it yesterday, Right? I need help, and I need it right now. Maybe the nature of, of, of how that goes, but typically our, our prayers are much the same. When we get really desperate, now he's going he's to help me, but he got caught up with this woman. It's too late. I want us to know that when God works, he doesn't always work on our timetable. One of the thoughts that, that has permeated my mind, I read this in a book several years ago, but, but it just permeates my thoughts when we think about God working and answering our prayers. And, and, and they said we need to understand that when we reflect upon the biblical text, that God works in two ways. Number one, God works strangely. Number two, God works slowly. And what, all they were trying to say is that whenever you see the hand of God, God hardly ever works the way you would expect him to work. God, ha God hardly ever does the thing that I think makes perfect sense. Yeah, we have a giant. Let's send out a boy to, to fight him. Does that make any sense? We, 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 we need to, to deliver a nation. Why don't we have Joseph be sold into slavery? I think that will help us on the way there. This doesn't work that way. Even with the church, we, we read in Paul's Corinthian correspondence that God has chosen the, the foolish, the weak things of the world. Who would choose the weak things of the world? If I'm trying to fix something, I want the strong, not God. It's not the way God works. 
I mean, he just constantly does things. And if you look at it and say, that's not the way I would do it, you're not God. But it frustrates us. So God works strangely, and we, we could have a whole series on that. But, but God also works very slowly. It's not just, I'm going to pray this prayer, and then the, my package will be there in the mail tomorrow. Hardly ever does it work that way. But many times, God's, God's answers take days and weeks and months and years. How, how many times when we read in the biblical text, do we see God working over lifetimes? Do, do we see God answering prayers that fruition truly comes in the, in the lifetimes of children and grandchildren? I'm praying for things now, and I'm thinking right now, but God's thinking much longer than we are. God often works slowly, and we ought not be frustrated by that. We ought to be built up by that. Now, remember, this man is in the midst of this conversation, and somebody just came and told him his daughter is dead. There's no need. There's no need in Jesus coming to the house. Because there's nothing more he can do. Interesting how many times people think that Jesus could, could heal sick people, but that he couldn't do anything about dead people. See, their Jesus is too small. Their idea of God is too small. That, that's a common problem. But, but that's what they're saying. There's no more need in him coming. Well, as soon, verse 36, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. Isn't that what the preacher is supposed to say? Do not be afraid. I know it looks like the world is falling down around you, but do not be afraid. We, we see Elisha telling, telling his servant that. We, 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 we see Moses telling the Israelites that. We see over and over Jesus telling his disciples that. When they think all is lost, we're going to die, everything is bleak, there's no good, we're, we're in the dark, do not fear. And he's not saying don't fear because it's not as bad as you think it is. I want to be really careful that I don't minimize the trials and the suffering and the difficulties that people go through in their life. I have never appreciated it when people would minimize my trials. Don't appreciate it at all. But I do want to say do not fear because I want you to know how great my God is. There was a little meme going around not, not too long ago. It may be older than that, but... But, but they basically, the, 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 whole, the whole gist of it was that we need to stop telling God about how big our problems are and start telling our problems about how big our God is. When you think about that, that's what's going on here. Do not fear. Yeah, but my daughter just died. Like I just got a very real conversation. Some of you, may, some of you know what that feels like to have someone tell you that your child has died. That, that unnatural thing that we wish didn't happen to anybody, but we know that it does happen. Do not fear. Believe, even in the dark days. Trust, even in the darkness, that God is there. And that God can do something that is beyond our comprehension. It's just like the text that we talked about this morning from Hebrews 11 or from Genesis 22 talking about Abraham there on that mountain. It had to have been a very dark time when God said, I want you to kill your son. But Abraham said, God must be going to do something that is so far beyond my imagination. Even raise him from the dead. 
That's faith. Only believe. Verse 37 says, And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And then he came to the house and the ruler of the synagogue and saw a, a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. You can kind of picture the scene that Jesus walks up on and here he is with the Father and everyone is mourning. She would, she would have just died, right? Sometimes you, you will go to the hospital to visit people and you figure out really quick, this person just passed away. And many times there will be wailing and crying and, and, and incredibly sad looks on people's faces. It's kind of hard to miss. That's what they're walking up on. Too little, too late, right? Who needs a doctor when someone has died? But when he came in, he said, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. See, Jesus is always about giving us a different perspective. And he wanted this father who had Jesus, the Son of God, the Creator, walking with him. This is similar to us talking about our faith today. I want you to see what's going on. It's much like when, when Jesus asked Philip, how are we going to feed all these people? And, and the text said that, that Jesus, he didn't ask Philip this question because, because he didn't know how he was going to feed these people. He knew what he was going to do. He was just giving Philip an opportunity to stand up and say, I don't know, God, but you can do anything. I've already seen you do things that I don't understand. So I'm going to trust in you. This is that perspective of faith that he desires for us to have. The child is not dead, but sleeping, and they ridiculed him. You go ahead, start talking about faith. I have seen many people who had great faith in God die a very slow death in church, men's, business meetings. Go ahead. You, you, you start talking about how we need to trust in God, and there will be a great chorus of being realistic. Now, I'm not for being foolish. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not for, 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 for being out of touch with any sort of reality, but, but it's hard to walk by faith because it's things that are unseen to trust in the hand of God, and they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was laying. And then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talithia kumai, which is translated little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. God sees things that we don't. I can't tell you how many times I've looked at situations and I've said, there is nothing good. There is nothing good here. There is nothing good that could possibly come out of this thing. We look at passages like Romans 8, 28, that God worketh all things together for good to those who love the Lord, and we say, I just don't see it. I hear the promise I've seen example after example, but I just don't see it. All I see is bad. All I see is bad outcomes. All I see is bad. Is bad All I see is bad. Jesus sees things that we don't see. It is that heavenly perspective 
when Jesus met this man who was a ruler of the synagogue. We, we read about conversations like this in this man's life, and, and it must have been quite a day, right? I mean, the desperation that my child is about to die, the, the excitement that someone is actually going to come and help her, the, the depths of depression that must have hit when they said, your daughter is actually dead, and then I go to bed that night, and my little girl is alive and well. Sounds a lot like the Christian life, with ups and downs. Don't ever fail to go to the one who can actually bring you hope. To hope against hope, as we talked about this morning. This doesn't make earthly sense, but I'm not asking for something that makes earthly sense. I I hope when you pray to God, you're not praying about stuff that's within your power. I hope that you're praying about things that are completely overwhelming to you. I hope that's what you're talking to Jesus about. Because he's the one who can do something. He's the one who can act. And we're grateful that we can go before him. He is the one who can speak those words of healing, even in the midst of sin itself. It's one thing to say that you're a great man. Maybe you can heal the body. Met some great doctors, incredible surgeons. They can do amazing things. They can't do what God can do, but they can do some amazing things. There's no man that can, that can forgive sin. I'd like to preach a whole sermon sometimes about the desperation statements of the Bible. Because I think we need, to, we need to hear it. Just like this man coming and falling on his knees. I think about those people there in Acts chapter 2 when they truly became convicted of their own sin. What shall we do? I mean, I have messed up. I have sinned, and there's no denying what I've done. There's no denying that I have separated myself, and I know that the consequence is sin and damnation. Tell me that there's hope. And if it's up to me or you or any great man, there is no hope. But there is one. There's one who can give hope even in the midst of our own sinfulness. And his name is Jesus. I hope that you'll listen to these words tonight. And when you're struggling in life, I hope that you'll turn to Jesus. And when you're struggling with sin, I hope that you'll turn to Jesus. That you will turn to His blood, that you will turn to His forgiveness, that you'll come and you'll walk with Him all the days of your life so that you may walk with Him for all of eternity. You come tonight to be born again through His blood, to have your sins washed away through His sacrifice, Bring your burdens and your cares and cast them upon him who actually cares and who can actually do something about it. You come tonight as we stand and as we sing.